Welcome to the 71st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Roger Brown got involved with organic farming back before it was cool. When he began raising organic carrots back in the 1970s, there weren't many food co-ops and the presence of farmers markets was a fraction of what it is today. Information on how to produce food crops without chemicals was next to non-existent. But he persevered, developing production and marketing systems through a lot of hard work as well as trial and error. Today, Brown's Rising Sun Farm is a thriving organic produce operation that sits near the western Wisconsin community of River Falls. Over the years, he's developed a very local market for the 40 different fruits and vegetables he raises on hilly land. Most of his produce goes to food co-ops and grocery stores within 25 miles of the farm. But he also markets some produce to restaurants in the area that are emphasizing locally produced food. During the fall of 2009, some of the restaurants Brown markets to took part in Dine Fresh, Dine Local, a two-day event that emphasized the variety and quality of food produced in the St. Croix River Valley near the Twin Cities. This is an initiative of the St. Croix River Valley Buy Fresh, Buy Local chapter, which is coordinated by the Land Stewardship Project. The 2009 event included over 20 restaurants on both the Minnesota and Wisconsin side of the St. Croix River. Brown recently provided me a tour of his gardens and talked about how over the years he has developed a viable organic production system on his rolling acres and why it's important to have restaurants showcasing locally produced food. Yeah, uh, back in the 70s, and I I worked uh, in the food co-op system back in the 70s, and uh, there was very little organic produce being marketed at the time, and of course it was virtually all coming in from California. And it was primarily carrots, organic carrots. On a good day, you could find a little organic broccoli and maybe some celery. Uh, So we kind of started from there with marketing strategy and planted carrots, uh, which kind of fit our resources, or more specifically lack thereof. Uh, Carrots don't require a, a greenhouse. Uh, they're hail-proof, they're drought-proof, and uh, like I say, there was a market for organic carrots. So carrots is what put us on the map back in the early days. As organics grew uh, and the bigger companies uh, increased their plantings of organic carrots, well, then the price dropped, too, and so it became less profitable for us to grow them. And, which is fine. We uh, there's other things we can grow. Um, it's more suited for us in a smaller acreage situ- situation to uh, choose uh, intensive crops that are uh, basically require uh, hand labor rather than um, crops that are more suited for tractor scale mm-hmm. cultivation. Uh, one thing I want while we're standing here, I wanted to. Uh, talk to you about is we're standing on this pretty good slope. I don't know what kind of a percentage slope we got here. We're in the uh, St. Croix River Valley, I guess, but we're you can tell that we're in a kind of a rolling area. And you've got this really nice system, this contoured system, and it's really beautiful for one thing because <laughs> you know that you got your cover crops and then you've got your your vegetables and and it goes on down to the to the high tunnels and everything there. But um, uh, th- this system really seems to work for this hillside. It really seems to blend in nicely. Yeah, of course the the slope dictates that that we need to uh, plant on the contour. 
Um, additionally, a number of years ago, we switched to uh, raised beds. We made our own equipment to make the beds. It really enhances the growing environment of the crops, uh, and uh, that is the the orientation is primarily north and south. So the sun will strike all sides of the beds, the east, the top, and the west sides of the beds, and, and create a earlier spring warming and just a more suitable growing environment for most of the crops. Additionally, in uh, substantial rains, these trenches will hold water and, and allow for a, a more of a soaking in. Uh, without the raised beds, of course, any you know the excess rain is, is leaving the field and taking taking soil with it. Most of these crops are, or the beds are mulched with the hay or straw mulch. We'll we'll see this as we move. Uh, and of course, the mulch acts as a giant uh, filter, basically slowing the water, trapping any sediment runoff that way. Uh, yeah, you still have periods of vulnerability to uh, soil erosion, but uh, if we're careful, we can minimize that. And if soil moves, it uh, usually we can keep it on the field rather than leaving the field. So, how many? You were explaining earlier. You've got so many acres in a given year that's in crops, and then there's cover crops and fallow. Can you kind of describe that mix maybe a little bit? Yeah, our main field is in a five-year rotation with three years of vegetables and two years of soil-building covered crops. And those covered crop areas also double as pasture for our poultry, which fluctuates from you know winter time of about 50 hens on up to over 200 birds during the summertime. And the poultry really is the backbone of our fertility system. Um, the uh, cover crop areas in the rotation are, are seeded with a solid sod. Uh, grass is really, according to my experience and my information, is what really builds soil. So I've designed a rotation where I can keep the fallow areas in grass for 23 months from seeding until tilling in for the uh, next vegetable crop. So our, our rotation then is grouped uh, primarily by early maturing vegetables, middle season maturing vegetables, and late maturing vegetables. I've also figured out a way to grow strawberries in that, in that rotation, and it's a little complicated, but the strawberries have a planting year and then two picking years. So if I plant the strawberries in the first year of the three vegetable years, then they can remain in that location for that period. Uh, what we're looking at right here is the early maturing vegetable group, and uh, a lot of those crops have come out now, and as soon as a crop is harvested, it's seeded to... Uh, up to this point, in a catch crop of buckwheat, which is a fast-growing broadleaf canopy type of crop, that gives us some some cover crop protection in a hurry. Um, eventually, all the the early maturing uh, crops are all going to be out of here by the first week of September, and then we can get a 
Then we can seed our solid sod cover crop, which would be uh, winter rye and hairy vetch, uh, both as a nurse crop, and then will be clipped for mulch next year. And that's interseeded with uh, smooth brome grass and annual rye grass and red clover then. And once that's uh, established uh, the following summer, that'll double as uh, bird pasture. As these crops come out until the first week of September, you know, up until, oh, let's see, it's the 13th, well, up through this week, anything that's harvested will be seeded in buckwheat. Wow, that's quite a quite a system you got worked out here. Did it take you several decades? Yeah. <laughs> it, it took a number of years. It's, it's very intense. But you you learn you're all you never stop learning and uh, that's certainly true here. Um, so we're always learning how to get more production out and 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 still you know build soil quality and fertility at the same time. Now right now you you're kind of doing a mix of you I think the bulk of your market is still the wholesale to the food co-ops and to some grocery stores in the area, but you're also doing some sales to places, to restaurants like uh, Savory's and, and some other restaurants that are really focusing on the local foods. What is it you like about the, the restaurant end of it? I know it's not a huge part of your market, but uh, you were talking earlier that you really like uh, selling to them for, for a couple different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, the some of these uh, restaurants and, and uh, chefs... Uh, have uh, come to really appreciate local food and uh, really pr- appreciate the difference on uh, of flavor uh, and just even uh, tuning in to the seasonal availability of things and, and being able to feature that to, in their business. And it's it's just been real real exciting. Uh, uh, work with some of the chefs and and uh, just experience their dedication. Yeah, I was wondering if also if that helps a little bit increase the demand in general for local foods when they can kind of showcase what's being raised in the area and do such a good job with it. Yeah, well, I think it does, and and uh, of course, local um, marketing local is really key to that. Um, one of my favorite restaurants to sell to and eat at is the Shady Grove in Beldonville, and uh, they they have a great business. They uh, are selling big city food at small town prices and they've got a, a repeat clientele feature their local growers on their daily menu and what the growers are providing uh, on that day boy it's all it's all name recognition and uh, you know people having the opportunity to, to really uh, see what they're eating and uh, you know taste the difference you think people are sometimes surprised how the variety of stuff that is available here in the upper Midwest, uh, even in season? Well, uh, yeah, I, th- I think so, and especially with uh, some of the techniques of extended season growing that are really catching on now, too. Uh, we are marketing uh, greens, tomatoes, uh, other things that are grown in our uh, hoop houses or high tunnels, they're sometimes called, and and also, uh, a lot of what we grow here is uh, storable. Uh, you know, the carrots again, cabbage, beets, onions. Uh, so many things can be put in storage and, and sold out of storage for much of the winter. 
Um, and I, I think there's a kind of an untapped area of uh, local supplying. Uh, you know, we could have a grower's warehouse or even a, a marketer's warehouse uh, that could serve a number of farmers and, and really put these crops in, uh, oh, what would you call it, high-quality storage environments. Yeah, and there's been a lot of excitement lately about the high tunnel system, uh, kind of a low-cost way to extend that season. Yeah, there sure has, and uh, we put our first one up 14 years ago. And here again, uh, for me, as long as I've been in it, uh, with the lack of you know resources and, and know-how of, and technical help uh, available at that time, I mean, that picture's completely changed now. Uh, but uh, it was a lot of trial and error for me. They uh, are pretty phenomenal. Um, if you'd like, in a couple minutes, I can take you over and show you a wall of tomatoes. Oh, that'd be great. For more on Rising Sun Farm, see www.risingsunfarm.org. That's risingsunfarm.org. More information on Dine Fresh, Dine Local is at www.dinefreshdinelocal.com or www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or give me a call at 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.